Congratulations, LifeFlow, for being named in G2's Fall 2023 report as the leader in the financial analysis category. This accolade is a reflection of LifeFlow's commitment to excellence, outstanding performance, user-friendly experience, and being the preferred choice of accountants and bookkeepers. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, LifeFlow, later in the episode. Ever wished you could earn CPE credits while on the go? Introducing Earmark, the app revolutionizing the way accountants earn their CPE. Just listen to your favorite accounting and tax podcasts, whether you're driving to work, working out, or even doing chores. After you're done listening, take a quick quiz. Score 70% or higher, you've earned your CPE. It's that easy. And here's the kicker. It's totally free. Plus, with Earmark, you're not just ticking a box. You're actually learning valuable insights from top accounting podcasts. So why wait? Download the Earmark app now on iOS or Android and transform your listening time into CPE credits. Make the most of your day and stay ahead with Earmark. So this is why, this is the number one reason why I believe that uh, crypto as it's currently implemented, cryptocurrency, can't replace the U.S. dollar as, as a currency. Because without trusted intermediaries to reverse transactions like this, your average investor in crypto, your average user is going to get scammed out of a lot of money. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio. Welcome to the show. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Hey, David. I'm back from San Diego. I was in San Diego doing a keynote for Alineal Global. They are one of the largest accounting associations associations of CPA firms, accounting firms in the world. And uh, they had a financial institutions workshop for CPAs who specialize in basically banks. Um, you know, a lot of bank auditors were there. Small group, really fun. Uh, it was in the Gaslamp District. And I got to go and uh, do a little sightseeing. So I went over to Coronado Island, and I, I went to the Hotel del Coronado, walked Great around hotel. there. It was beautiful. Uh, I'd never really like gone inside. Um, I, I've never stayed there, and I've ne- I never really got a chance to just like. I always went, you know, to the beach there, but and saw it from the outside. But it's beautiful inside. Um, I highly recommend anyone go. And if you do go, go up to the second floor, uh, and by the balcony that overlooks the lobby, there's this stained glass that's from the original construction of the hotel in 1888, and it's been restored. And it's a uh, depiction of the crowning which is, you know, Coronado, Coronation. Correct my memory on that hotel. Was the elevator, like, um, there's an elevator operator still after the elevator? No, they've automated it, but it still looks like an old one. You okay. know, so it's got, like, the uh, bars instead of, you know, like, but they've put they've put glass around so you can't, like, stick your fingers through and, you know, chop off your hand because we don't have as much sense these days to... <laughs> my, my brain says, like, 15, 18 years ago when I stayed there, there was somebody still operating the elevator for you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hotel. It's possible. I mean, that thing, it, it, it looks ancient. So it was fun. I did my talk about artificial intelligence and how I believe it will transform and save the accounting profession in a very positive way, adding in a little twist on, you know, financial services, where all that's going to go. You said these so, were bank auditors? Yes. Did you get any inside scoop on SVB or any of that stuff? <laughs> no, we had a little bit of a debate about, you know, uh, SVB and the responsibility of the auditors in you know, identifying the bond risk. Uh, but no, nothing, nothing, uh, nobody was working on SVB. That was KPMG. 
So these are smaller okay. firms. Uh, but I did hear an interesting story from one of the partners there. Uh, I believe his firm is in Columbia, Missouri. And he was telling me how one of his managers, directors, senior manager, went on maternity leave. And while she was on maternity leave, the partners voted her in to the partnership. So when she came back, she was going to be a partner. And That's she like came opposite of stories I've ever heard before. It's usually <laughs> really yeah, right. It's usually you get fired somehow right. during maternity leave. Uh, the profession has changed for the better, it seems. So they offered her the partnership. And when she came back and she turned them down to go open a daycare center, a franchise daycare, the kind that has, you know, 200 uh, kids and the economics of it. Well, anyone who has young children knows that it's very difficult to find daycare right now. So if you do it the right way, apparently it can be very profitable. So that's what she's going to do instead of being a CPA firm partner. Turn down being a CPA firm partner to go open a franchise daycare. The math could make sense because half her partner's salary would have went to pay the daycare anyways if you've ever <laughs> had to pay for daycare. So this actually is, might be a smart idea. Yeah. Too, well, you know. for daycare, open daycare center. So it was great talking with this small group because all the stuff we've been talking about on the show, they validated it, right? The talent crunch, they can't find enough people, uh, not enough people to do the audit work. And so, yeah, they were very eager to hear about how AI could transform things uh, in the near future. And um, I guess I wanted to kick off our discussion today with a fun video, David. You know, we've been doing lots of amazing things with AI recently, and sometimes you just got to enjoy it. So... I spotted this meme. Oh, the with somebody. AI is going to destroy the world. I want to feel good AI. with somebody. Yeah, with the with somebody. With somebody who loves now, me. The listeners can't digest this, but it is Arnold Schwarzenegger's face merged into Whitney Houston's body and face. Yes. Correct. And okay. and obviously his voice, which you could hear, singing the words to that famous song. And uh, this was posted by John Weth, W-E-T-H, on Instagram. He said, AI has bigger fish to fry than us. So I've been experimenting a little bit with AI and video creation myself, David. And I wanted to make, I wanted to play a video for you and our listeners and our live stream viewers um, that I created entirely with a prompt in ChatGPT. I, I asked ChatGPT to create a short video for me on the topic of the importance of auditors. And I used the Wikipedia plugin and the CapCut plugin. These are plugins that you can get for free in ChatGPT Premium, or Plus, I guess is what they call it. You enable those plugins, and ChatGPT can go out to Wikipedia and pull a page and then create an article for you or a script for you, which is what I asked it to do in uh, terms a 12-year-old could understand. And then it can make a video with that script, all with AI. So that CapCut, you said, what is it called? CapCut. It's a video, online video editing oh, video suite. Okay. Yeah, for like social media videos. It's very popular with TikTok. I think it might be owned by the same company. They created it to help TikTokers create videos. I bet dance, um, okay. Yeah. So, so literally, I... I put the prompt in with two instructions. Instruction one was write a script on the importance of auditors, put it in language a 12-year-old can understand. Number two, use the script to create a video with CapCut. 
And here's the result. Auditors are like financial detectives who make sure companies are honest with their money. They examine a company's financial records to ensure everything is accurate. This builds trust between the company and its investors or customers. Auditors must be independent, meaning they can't have personal or financial ties to the company they're auditing. This ensures their report is fair and unbiased. If auditors aren't independent, it could lead to mistrust in the company's financial statements, which is a big issue. That's it. I, I only gave it 100 words. But, you know, it's not terrible. I mean, it is terrible, but it's also... <laughs> the ice cream truck music really like, takes away a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't pick the best music. No. Uh, it did better on another one that I did on, on financial... Uh, what was it? I did financial services. Do you want to see that one? Or, or before you do that, I was just to comment on this. Like I could see at the level you've done, if I if you were a high school professor or teacher and yeah. you wanted to instead of you building a slide deck and saying those things yourself, you could just hit play and let this play and it would accomplish I mean less the music. It would accomplish that, I think. So here's another one I did. I asked it to do one on the importance of management accounting for a presentation I was doing for the Institute of Management Accountants. And uh I think it did a better selection of the music on this one. And it, now remember, I didn't tell it what kind of music to pick. I didn't tell it anything. I had it draft the script and make the video. Oh, and our listeners can't see it. If you, you can see it on YouTube, you can't see it on the podcast. It's it's taken free stock photos and added them to every slide and added captions. And that voice, by the way, is completely generated by AI. Management accounting is crucial for any business. It's like a toolkit that provides valuable information to managers. This information helps in making informed decisions, such as launching a new product or finding ways to save money. It's not just about counting dollars. It's about planning for the future and improving the business. In short, management accounting is the brain of a business, guiding it to make smart moves. I thought that was pretty good. It's that, that, it's, I still think the voices have a, a tone. Yep, right. Everyone, like, just stop and remember, this is year one of generative yeah, that's AI. True. That's true. This is year one. Imagine what it's going to do in future years. Uh, you might be able to design an entire presentation just giving it an outline or talking with it. So anyway, I wanted to play that stuff for you. David, you know, I was gone for a couple of days. What is new in the world of accounting and tax? I saw we might have a government shutdown. Government shutdown's been in the news this week. So if you remember, it's great because like the articles, they're, they're loose in 2018, 2019, but there was a shutdown before. And the IRS did shut down. And there's, you know, there's some stock footage of like, you know, tape over the doors of the IRS offices and, you know, some dramatic things, uh, B-roll footage like that from 2018, 2019. So I was just trying to figure out, is the IRS going to shut down again? And a week ago, the uh, IRS union said, they were getting memos. They say there, there was not going to be a shutdown. So that was a week ago. The IRS was safe from the government shutdown. Well, because they but got all that funding, right? That, that $80 billion. Yeah, there's a tie to that creating a safety net. Mm -hmm. but that goes into effect October 1st, which is basically the day after the shutdown. It's very, like that, that part's oh. still all being debated and argued over. But as of yesterday, they're saying that there will be a partial close now. Um, Uh-oh. But this is, so we still have, what, eight days before the 30th, right? So I'm sure news will continue to change. And so as soon as we put this out, it might be completely different. But it, 
what I went on is I started to deep to go down these paths, right? About like, what else gets shut down? Like, how does it impact things? A couple, like, you know, the Pentagon has 80,000 civilian employees, but the one that caught my eye is the SEC. The SEC furloughs 90% of its 4,600 employees. How many? Uh, 90% of its 4,600 employees. On October 1st. Yeah. If they don't, if the government shuts down. Shuts down. And I, I just feel like that's a kind of an important one. Now, the Federal Reserve, they're not tied to the budget because they basically make money on their own industry fees and the fees they charge banks. They don't have any room or there's no possible shutdown. So um, federal deposit insurance, uh, comp control of currency, they're all going to continue as normal, things mm-hmm. like that. And then talking about people who still get paychecks, right? So, you know, air traffic controllers will still get paychecks. They'll still be operating, but they will stop training new ones. Well, that's not right. good because we were just talking about how there's a huge shortage, a shortage right. of so air traffic controllers. Um, and then this was kind of interesting. Criminal prosecutions, including two federal cases against former President Trump, would continue. It's funny how they, they called that out so specifically. Um, but most civil lit- uh, litigation would be postponed. Uh, FBI, Drug Enforcement, Secret Service, they would remain on the job. And But then I was like, well, what about other government employees, including the representatives? Right. So our Congress people will still get paid, Blake. If oh, there's of a course. shutdown. Of course. They will still get paid. But other government employees will not get paid. It's it's mind blowing, right? Yeah. But here, uh, no, here's it's not mind blowing. It makes total sense. <laughs> but there is a, a great uh, uh, Democratic rep, Angie Craig. She introduced a new bill to strip away paychecks from members of Congress if there's a shutdown. Okay. We'll see if that so, has a shot. <laughs> So basically, she, uh, it's going to be one day's worth of pay for every day the government shutdown is occurring. Mm-hmm. That's the, her proposal. Um, but at the end, if they go back to work, they just get paid anyways. So they're going to they're gonna give them the difference in the money. So it's, 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 it's temporary. Now, what's funny about this is the name of the bill. Okay, you ready? Now, now listen carefully here. It's my constituents can't afford rebellious tantrums. Handle your shutdown act also known as the McCarthy Shutdown Act. <laughs> I like it. She named the bill, the Mac- basically the McCarthy Shutdown Act. But yeah, at least that's doing the right thing. But if they're still going to get, they're, they're still going to be made full. I mean, senators get 190000 a year. You know, uh, federal, federal legislators get uh, 174000 a year. If they're still made full, there's no penalty to this. It's, it's all optics and pandering. But hopefully, hopefully the IRS will not get... Uh, caught up in this, but I don't know. My, my suspicion is it will. Because when they raised the debt ceiling, right, that's when the IRS got, they moved the levers and took some of the money away. We'll see if the IRS makes it through the next eight days here. More IRS news. The AICPA said in their most recent town hall that their sources at the IRS believe that 95% of new ERC claims are ineligible. And that's New, I had not seen that in any other news source. So the AICPA is is making news here. I find that number to be shockingly high. And I want to thank Dan Choden on Twitter for posting this and calling this out. Uh, he said exactly this news, and he took a screenshot of the town hall, and I went and, and, and I was actually listening to it at the time, but I didn't catch that bit. Um, and I wonder how accurate that is. Like, how could the IRS possibly know this without actually reviewing the files are they sampling them or something is this just somebody's opinion at the irs if there are really that many 
like there are 600,000 new claims in the last few months. That would mean, you know, go ahead, David. My, my, my guess is 5% of the claims coming in are from like legit accountants and accounting firms. And the other 95% are just coming in from these mills. And so it's very easy for them to know where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's my guess is it's it's that obviously obvious and blatant. Now, I wish the IRS had this number. It's weird that the ICPA dropped the number, but it is completely, it's unfathomable. It makes sense why they shut it down. This episode of the Accounting Podcast is sponsored by LiveFlow. If you're really a busybody, your title would read CPB, a Certified Public Busybody. You're a CFO, a controller, a CPA, and yet you burn so much time on the busy work compiling reports stuck in the land of CPB. Well, LiveFlow's mission is to get you out of there. It's the fastest way to connect your QuickBooks Online to Google Sheets. It's designed to eliminate your extra busy work by automating and scaling your client reporting with live hourly updates. Once you cross the border, some strange and wonderful things start to happen. You stop exporting reports from QBO. You no longer customize your sheets over and over again. Your central nervous system forgets what it feels like to deal with stale data and you enter a state of nirvana. For your one-way ticket out of CPB land and 20% off your first three months, head over to accountingpodcast.promo slash liveflow. That is accountingpodcast.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W. Welcome back to CPA land. So I was listening to this town hall on my AirPods walking around San Diego after I did this keynote yesterday. And I walked up from the Gaslamp District up to, uh, what do they call it, Balboa Park. And I was walking around Balboa Park listening to the town hall. And um, they covered the CPA pipeline issue in the town hall this time, which is great because they don't always talk about it. But again, they saved it until the last 10 minutes of an hour-long session. And I'm thinking to myself, come on, isn't this the number one issue that is facing the accounting profession right now is talent and getting young people into the profession. And it's constantly pushed to the very last part of the, of the town halls. And the thing that really irritated me this time was that before talking about pipeline issues, the featured discussion was with Alan Colton, great, wonderful person, Alan Colton, <laughs> on M&A and PE. And they talked with him for 20 minutes about basically how to sell your CPA firm, <laughs> you know, whether that's going to be private equity or merging up or something else. And it was all about getting out, selling your firm is, was the topic, right? That's what M&A is about. That's what private equity is about. And 20 minutes on that. And then after that, five minutes on the pipeline issues. So four times as much time in this town hall dedicated to M&A, selling your firm versus the pipeline. Now, we did get some news out of the pipeline segment, the five minutes they dedicated to it with Mike Decker. Uh, we found out that there's a committee, the, the National Advisory, I forget exactly what it's called, pipeline group, consists of over 20 people from throughout the profession. And somebody we know is on it, David. It is Jennifer Wilson of Convergence Coaching. She is, uh, she is helping to run this with somebody from Aprio. And so I'm really excited because we've been wanting to get Jen on the show and we've, we just haven't been able to schedule it. So I hope we can get her on the show and talk about the pipeline issue. 
but yeah, I, I think mean, I think I wish I wish AICPA would would spend more time on this because I don't I think it's it's like it's the number one issue. It should be at the front of every town hall. Well, don't they have it just like we do for and people are in it right now who are watching the live stream? They're in the chat room, chatting yeah. us up, right? Doesn't the li- doesn't the uh, town hall have a chat stream that people can do live chats in there and chat with each other? Uh, I I don't I don't know if you can see anyone else's chats. Like I I don't know how that works. Oh, I I yeah. I, I, I it may be often, but I was in the impression that like people start really asking questions about the 150 hour rule in the chat. So if you put it at the beginning of the thing, it's just gonna uh, fuel the chat room for an hour. And so if you keep it at the end, you know people t- people have tipped off by then. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, fueling the fire. Hey, thanks everyone who has joined us today in the live stream. We've got Hector Garcia here, celebrity in the chat. Yelena's here, David Hall, HK Geek, Julio. Thanks everyone who's commenting. Thank you all for joining us. If you have a story that you think we should be talking about that we missed, let us know. We want to hear from you. And you can get notified when we go live by subscribing to us on YouTube. And we, I think we recently passed 2,000 subscribers on YouTube. So thanks, everyone, who hit that subscribe button, hit that like button. Uh, it is now a huge source of, of views for us. It's the number one fastest-growing podcasting platform. And I think we had something like 30,000, 40,000 views on YouTube last month alone. So well, I think a lot of the, the reels, right, the telephone-style videos. The shorts. Been, they call them the shorts. Yeah, the shorts. Yeah, the shorts yeah, those are great. YouTube have been doing really well. Yeah. One got 14,000 views. Uh, I have another IRS story that kind of even ties into the the pipeline problem a little bit. Okay, well, we'll do that, and then we'll get to my could AI replace AI's, CEOs yeah, story. So the IRS has posted 3,700 new job postings because the IRS now wants to not audit small, the, the $400,000 people. They want to go after bigger, more complicated businesses. And so they want to hire new agents that are specializing in large corporate and complex partnership compliance. So 3,700 new vacancies are divvied up against 250 IRS offices nationwide. Base salaries are between 98,000 and 158,000. Say that again. So 3,700 new jobs, 3,700 base salaries from 98,000 to 158,000. Wow, that's not bad. What are the qualifications for these roles? Like how much experience do you need? What are they? So that's really interesting. You, they want you to have um, one year of specialized experience and that you at least got a high school degree, right? They're calling it a grade, grade 12 level, right? And that you can demonstrate some professional accounting or auditing work in the past. But essentially, they don't really care what kind of degree you have, but they do want you to have at least 30 semester hours of accounting coursework. But they, it's, it's definitely a lower requirement than obviously sitting for the mm-hmm. exam. And... Look at the money you'd make. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're an accounting major, this is this is very viable. Hmm. I mean, that government job, 90, 100 grand a year, pretty good. Uh, hey, I want to say, since we got Hector here, that everyone needs to go listen to Hector Garcia's new podcast with Alicia Katz-Pollock, the unofficial QuickBooks Accountants podcast. Congratulations to Hector and Alicia for ranking on Chartable's top 200 podcasts globally. It's a huge accomplishment. I don't think we've ever done that, David. This show is rocketing up the charts. And I am so happy and honored to be helping to produce this show as part of Earmark Media. Uh, we, We have worked with Hector and Alicia to bring their vision to light. 
it is the unofficial take on everything QuickBooks and Intuit, and who better than Hector and Alicia to do this? Um, it's it's really great. So go subscribe. You can do that at we have a new URL for it. It is q uqb.show. So head over to uqb.show and check it out and subscribe. They've got a new episode. Episode four is about Intuit betting big on AI. So, you know, we cover that in a few minutes here on the show because we jump around to a lot of different things. Hector and Alicia dig in for- Entire episode. An entire episode, 40 minutes on this topic. So uh, do not miss it. All right, David, should we talk about AI and CEOs? We go down AI stuff. <laughs> my, my slightly cheeky headline for this episode or title of this episode is, could AI replace CEOs of CPA firms? <laughs> and it was inspired by this article here on Insider, the modern CEO job is completely broken, but AI could make executives useful again. <laughs> um, and the, basically the, the gist of this story is that the role of the modern CEO could be easily done by existing technology. CEOs are often highly paid figureheads who make decisions based on inputs from consultants rather than contributing meaningfully to the company's bottom line. And could we not hold CEOs accountable the same way as other employees or replace them with AI? They could provide quicker answers, continuous self-improvement, operational efficiency. The CEO role is often very vague and generic and companies could save a lot of money if somebody built a, a you know a, a CEO GPT and just had it, you know, do all the CEO stuff. So, former CEO of uh, Intuit, he came from GE, Steve Bennett back in the day. He actually almost drove into it in the ground, but that's a, that's a whole story for another podcast. <laughs> but he used to brag about how many holes of golf he played a year. Oh my God. And and he and the uh, CEO of Sun Microsystems, uh, who was next door to Intuit, and there was a golf course right behind both campuses there. And they would golf literally four days a week, probably, maybe more. And his point on this was, well, as a CEO, the way you know I'm doing my job is I've gotten my C-suite all executing, right? Where I don't have to do the work. So right. yes, could AI replace what he's doing? Yes, well, I've so, seen robots golf. So as the CEO of Earmark, um, I'm sort of biased because I, I don't <laughs> think an AI could do my job quite yet, but I think there's parts of it it could really do, like a significant part, which is simply following up on the status of projects. I feel like my job, so much of my job is just going through our Notion database of every project that everyone's working on and asking for status updates. And I need yeah. to figure out how to automate that. Um, I was talking with Liz Mason, uh, my friend here in Scottsdale, who runs High Rock Accounting. And she was telling me she's done this to some extent with her own project management software, where if there's not an update in there for X amount of hours or days, it will then post on her behalf into the project asking for the status update. So I might do that, David. Don't tell anyone else at Earmark that I'm doing this. But I, but I can see as a leader, like what you, it's how do you, there's so many things. There's so much input, so much noise. What as a CEO of a company, like what should you look at next? And so if AI can help you bubble that up, that yeah. would make sense. So I think like the, the, if the CEO is just doing that kind of like management of like an ongoing business and not trying to innovate inside the business, then yeah, I think actually AI could probably do a better job than a lot of CEOs who are just like figureheads, you know, and keeping the business going steady. But as soon as anything changes, you know, th then 
that's where the creativity comes in. That's where the vision comes in. So I, I think the, the article is a bit tongue-in-cheek too. Um, should we go to remote work? I, t- I wanted to talk about that last week and we just like never got to it like over many weeks. Yeah, if you have a remote work story, I have one as well. I don't know if you have more than one. I have Well, so I have a tie-in, um, banking and remote work. They're starting to come together. And I'm making this connection now. I'm not the only one. People have started writing about it. This started with Jamie Dimon, who has been critical about remote work, speaking oh, yeah, that's up right. yet again. There was a September 7th article on thestreet.com covering how Jamie Dimon, CEO of Chase, has issued a stern warning to employees about returning to the office full-time. He said that those who don't want to commute should not expect to have a job at J.P. Morgan. He said that 60% of their employees are back full-time, 30% at least three days a week, and 10% remain fully remote. Managing directors were required back full-time in April. And Jamie Dimon is one of those people who believes that you cannot collaborate effectively remotely. And you can't be, I think he said, to paraphrase, you can't be an effective leader if you're not in the office. Now, why is he so set on, you know, getting his people back in the office? Uh, There's another guy who has been criticizing remote work, and that's Mike Bloomberg. Mike Bloomberg was quoted in Fortune as complaining that remote workers are playing golf all day. Former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg believes that remote workers are essentially on vacation and that golfing has increased during work hours. And it's true. A Stanford University research paper found that post-pandemic golf course visits have indeed skyrocketed during weekday mid-afternoons. However, the researchers have noticed that they have noted that this increase in golfing has not directly led to a drop in productivity as long as employees make up their time later in the day. But Bloomberg doesn't pay attention to the research. He thinks that because people are going out and catching a game of golf, maybe eight holes here and there in the afternoon, that uh, they are not working. And it's shocking to me that these smart guys are just not looking at the data because productivity has not dropped with remote work. If anything, it's gone up slightly. So why? why, I'm worried about their their C-suites. If those two aren't golfing themselves. I worry about the C-suite of, of his, his C-suite if he can't go golfing himself. So what's, why, why did these guys have such a problem with remote work other than being like old and crotchety and not being able to, you know, do a Zoom call? Because they want to walk, you want to look to see if people are at their desk. Are you at your desk? Oh, you must be working. They wanna, well, they want that kind of a management style. It might have something to do with commercial leases and occupancy in buildings Chase has invested heavily in commercial real estate, including a new 1,400-foot tower in New York for 15,000 workers. Vacancy rates could cause issues with loans and property valuations. So maybe it's these rich guys with a lot of real estate, commercial real estate, saying, "Uh uh-oh, we need to do something to get occupancy rates back up because if we don't, we will not be able to refi our commercial real estate loans when their balloon payments come due in six to seven years. And this is something that I did not realize was such a big deal. This could be the ticking time bomb in our economy right now. I think it is. Uh, it's it's that a lot of banks, especially mid-sized banks, but you know bigger ones too, have a lot of loans on commercial office space, commercial loans, and if those 
buildings don't generate enough rents, now that interest rates are up, they will not be able to refi. And most commercial loans are not made like a traditional 30-year home mortgage, where it's the same payment for 30 years and then you're done for the whole loan. It is it is like six to seven years. And then at the end of that six, seven years, a balloon payment of lots of money is due. You got to pay off that whole loan. So the loan's only for like, you know, a portion of the amount. And with interest rates going up really fast, dramatically, the the new payment, it's just like in the financial crisis when people couldn't pay their home mortgages because interest rates went up. Away. The payment will get the so houses. high. Now the rents are coming down because occupancy is down. So the the rent collections may not be enough to pay the loan. And that's when the owner of the building walks away and the banks are left with the keys. So your assertion is that Jamie Dimon and Bloomberg, because they are overly exposed, they have a risk in owning too much commercial property. If they can convince all their CEO friends to make employees go into the office and pay rent for an office space, that's going to help reduce some of the risk. That That's your assertion. I think that's a... I, think they're, they have a motivation to encourage people to go back to work for that reason and to you know try and use their position as leaders in business to get other business leaders to do this. But it's definitely not working with accounting firms. I keep seeing articles about how accounting firms are downsizing their office space. Where is here? KPMG in Philadelphia is moving out of 1601 Market Street, and they're cutting their office space by 38%. And BDO is looking for a smaller office than their current digs at Heinz 57 Center downtown in Pittsburgh. Uh, and you'll see these. The I think I see these articles go by in the feed. Yeah. So to a moved office, closed down, smaller office, downsize. Yeah. yeah. There's not many uh, moving up to bigger offices. No, they're not. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Relay. Between Blake and myself, we now have three, four, or maybe five business entities. 20 or so checking accounts, and dozens and dozens of virtual cards. It would be impossible to manage all of this if we weren't using Relay as our small business bank. Relay is truly a part of the tech stack we use to run our businesses. Relay allows Blake and I to each have our own logins, we can grant access to our team, and even our accountant without sharing passwords or two-factor authentication codes. Relay allows us to grow and scale our banking needs without ever going into a physical branch. I recently added an account to receive inbound merchant services with just a few clicks. And I had to create a payroll checking account. Again, just a few clicks, and I instantly had access to my ACH info to give to my payroll provider. With Relay's virtual cards, we can issue debit cards to our team around the world for needed business expenses. I can instantly spin up a new Visa debit card and set both daily and monthly spending limits. And when a team member doesn't need their card, I can freeze it until they need to use it again. To learn more about using Relay in your firm and with your clients, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Relay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-E-L-A-Y. And you know, it's funny, uh, the big four do studies on remote work. As well. So like actually accounting as a profession, we are leading the way with remote work. And I think it's got to be because auditors have always been really basically remote, right? If you're an auditor, you're almost never back at your home office. You're always on site. And so we're, we're adapted to this. Um, and a new Deloitte study published in September found that uh, of 2,000, more than 2,000 U.S. consumers... 56% of employed adults worked remotely or in a hybrid manner over the last year. 
And of those, 45% said working from home improved family relationships, and 40% reported improved emotional well-being. Additionally, 8 in 10 hybrid workers said their relationships with family members, colleagues, and managers improved or remained the same compared to when they worked entirely in the office. The preference for fully remote or hybrid options over in-person work has increased, with 37% preferring in-person work and 28% preferring an even blend of remote and in-person. Remote education is also gaining in popularity, with 52% of respondents who learned remotely wanting to continue learning mostly or completely remotely in the future. Hey, and that's good news for Earmark. Yes, remote. Where you can earn CPE for listening to podcasts without having to go to an in-person conference or seminar. By the way, if you're listening right now and you didn't know, you can earn free continuing professional education credits, both NASBA and IRS approved, with the Earmark app, you can get your NASBA CPE for listening to the accounting podcast, and you can get IRS CE for listening to shows like Federal Tax Updates. And uh, I mentioned Hector's show, the unofficial QuickBooks Accountants podcast. You can get CPE now for that, too. Uh, the IRS CE, we can only give out for federal tax topics and ethics topics, so it's less, it's more limited. But the NASBA CPE, we have over 1,000 courses now in the Earmark library, and it's free to use for one a week. And then if you want to support our work and unlock and unlimit yourself uh, and get rid of the ads in the app, you can subscribe for $130 a year at this time. That may be going up later this year. So grab it while you can, because once you lock in that subscription, it will uh, continue to renew at that price. So your, your grandfather knew the pricing. At this time, we have decided that time. everybody who supports us early on gets to keep the price. So price. we've got folks who are still in at you know the hundred dollars a year, and I don't have any plans, you know, for a, I don't have any plans to change that. change that. So it's a thank you to everybody who supported us early on, and we've got over. Um, I mean, we've got something like seven hundred individual subscribers now to Earmark. Thank you, everyone who supports us, and we've got thousands of. Uh, subscribers through our partnerships with associations like the Maryland Society of Accounting and Tax Professionals. All their 1,500 members get free CPE through us, unlimited subscriptions through a partnership with them. Uh, and we're working on other groups. Uh, so if you want to, you know, for your association, if you're listening and you want to offer Earmark as a benefit to your members, reach out to us at uh, earmarkcpe.com. You can just email me, Blake, at earmarkcpe.com, and we'll be happy to talk to you about that. I have another headline on uh, working from home. So this was a study from Microsoft and Cornell University, and they, they used multiple data sets, and one of them was Microsoft's own employee data on commuting and teleworking behaviors. But So the, the, the headline, essentially, people who work from home all the time cut emissions by 54% against those in office when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions. That's incredible. So more than half by working from home. Uh, yeah. The vast majority of that, obviously, is the car, the commute. Yeah. That, that's pretty major. So there's an um, ESG reason for remote work. Yeah. They're, they're, it's, it's better for the environment, which yeah. is almost obvious, right? And if, I, and if I'm thinking back to when the pandemic, we had that lockdown, but everybody is 100% locked down and nobody's driving anywhere. I, if I remember correctly, like there was measurable differences in cities and air pollution and air quality and 
vegetation and birds were flying around, if I remember correctly. Um, so yes, if people aren't driving cars, it's always going to be better. Um, and then they can kind of get into just maybe your hybrid, right? So just one day uh, of remote work a week reduces emissions by 2% over the year. Wow. Just just one day a week. And then two or, two to four days, two or four days a week reduce your individual emissions by up to 29% versus on-site workers. So just two days a week is a, ma it's a third of your emissions could be eliminated. So I think that's, um, and then the focus as far as in the office, people are worried about like, um, you know, IT devices, right? So your computers and your phones and all that. Yes, it's all the multiple screens. It's all using electricity, us live streaming our internet, but it's, it's almost nominal. Like instead mm. the focus should be on the commute, air conditioning and heating. Like those are your big, the big energy sucks that can be, um, uh, managed by working from home, right? Because you work home, now you have a less smaller office to cool as well if the more people work from home. That's so right. there could be ripple benefits to this. We haven't talked about blockchain in a while. And I have to highlight this fraud, this scam for our listeners. Mark Cuban lost $870,000 in a crypto scam. Yeah, that Mark Cuban, owner of the Dallas Mavericks, Shark Tank Shark, 870,000 he got scammed out of. His wallet was drained of stable coins. The scam was flagged by blockchain watchers who noticed the suspicious activity in Cuban's wallet, prompting him to move his other holdings to safety. So he could have lost millions, but thanks to fans of his, he didn't. And he only lost 870,000. So so he has a crypto wallet. He's got his his Bitcoin in there, Bitcoin or whatever he's got in his crypto wallet. You have to have that huge password hash to get into that. And so somebody was able to get in there and start moving the money out. Not by cracking his password. They did That's, it okay. That's by- I was going to say how. They, how? they got him to download a fake copy of the MetaMask crypto wallet. So he downloaded fraudulent software to manage his crypto. Oh, and, like, hey, we have a better wallet. Use ours. Yeah, or and or they, put the money in there. They impersonated basically. the company he was using, and he downloaded okay. their update. Yeah, which had a backdoor into it. So, this is why this is the number one reason why I believe that uh, crypto, as it's currently implemented, cryptocurrency, can't replace the U.S. dollar as as a currency, because without trusted intermediaries to reverse transactions like this, your average investor in crypto, your average user is going to get scammed out of a lot of money. If a guy as smart as Mark Cuban can get scammed out of $870,000, what chance do the rest of us have? And so it can never be used as a cryptocurrency until somebody fixes that, figures that out. Like the cryptocurrencies that rely on, you know, completely distributed third-party verification and there is no person in the middle, no trusted, you know, bank or whatever that can reverse the transactions. Like that's, there's no way to undo this sort of thing. Uh, and there was a quote from Cuban here in the article that I want to call out because he said something actually, you know, meaningful here. He said, the whole point of the blockchain is that it's 100% public. Cuban, who conceded the lack of anonymity, claimed that he has got a lot of wallets and that 99% of what he is doing is learning. He concluded that the technology does need to be easier so that celeb or not, anybody can do it. So until the technology improves, it's not going to take over the world. 
and everybody's learning budgets are different. We talked about this before as far as like the percentage of the, the guys that went down in that sub and the percentage of their income and how it was you or I spending $200 on something, something mm-hmm. exciting. It didn't matter. And the same thing, I, 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 you know, I got $100 in crypto spread across a couple of wallets. He just, he's learning with a hundred grand. It's yep. like, yeah. Or, or sorry, 800 grand, million bucks in crypto. Yeah, for him, you know, maybe that's no big deal. Uh, continuing on in crypto news, Tether, remember Tether, David? Yes. The, uh, the stable coin, the number one stable coin in the world that has never gone through an audit. Still, I haven't heard any news about it. If anyone knows if they've finally been audited, let me know. But it's, you know, tens of billions of dollars in value that has never been audited. <laughs> uh, they are back to their old tricks. They are lending out stable coins again. And they promised that they would not do this. Last year, they said they would wind down their lending of stable coins. They haven't done it. And guess what? When you lend out stable coins, you are by definition no longer a stable coin. Because it means that your stable coin is not one-to-one backed by US dollars. I can't believe they can get away with this. So... They have $5.5 billion of loans out there as of June 30th, according to their quarterly financial update, which of course was not audited. So we don't know if that number is for real or not. Yeah. And they said they were going to wind it down. So the question is, why are they doing this too? Also, they don't need to do this in order to make money because they can rake in money hand over fist right now because people buy Tether with US dollars, supposedly. And then Tether goes and invests those US dollars in bonds, U.S. government bonds, which are paying pretty great interest rates right now, like 4 or 5%, right? And so they can make 4 or 5%, and they don't need to lend out this money. So the question is, why are they lending out the money? And there's speculation online that it's because there are people that are critical to the Tether ecosystem, the whole crypto ecosystem that are underwater right now. And so Tether lends out the Tether to prop up the values of other cryptocurrencies and the entire ecosystem because those people can then use the Tether to continue to buy crypto when prices are dropping and prop up the prices. And that's the, that's the conspiracy theory that I, in the, that's my conspiracy theory that I tend to buy into, which is that a lot of the value of cryptocurrency in the market is created by wash sales and this kind of market manipulation where it's not happening with actual dollars, it's with Tether that has been loaned out because Tether can just essentially make... it's it's one player controlling mar- the market prices, and I think I saw a headline fly by this week about um, FTX. The eighty-seven percent drop in crypto was basically FTX caused that to happen before. That the last they they basically were responsible for it. So it's like these one one players really just messing around with the market and just playing God, if that makes any sense. Yeah, there, there is no free market, which is crazy because that's the big argument about all the crypto and the Bitcoin and. It's it, yeah no it's actually controlled by very not, few it, it's whales. It's opposite of decentralized, right? It's yeah. opposite of decentralized. Well, it's and, decentralized. and it's it's worse than the centralization we have in the current banking system because we don't know who the players are. They can mm-hmm. be completely anonymous and they're unaudited and unaccountable to anybody. It's just yeah. Well, it goes back to what I think you brought this back before there was banking regulation and all these banks could just issue their own currencies. <laughs> Back in the day, right? It's yeah, kind of the, the wildcat. That, and you know, that's funny because I went to that, you know, Hotel del Coronado, which was built during that time period in 1888 when we had all the wildcat banks out there, you know, propping up, um, well, not propping up, but as a result of like all the oil and railroad, you know, industry in the Midwest and the West, 
uh, where they couldn't get financing, right? So they had to create these banks and all these banks just started issuing their own currencies. And you had these crazy uh, banking situations for decades until finally um, civil war comes along and then the federal government puts an end to that at the end of the civil war. This episode of the Accounting Podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks. FreshBooks accounting software is built for business owners and their trusted accountants to work better together. It's a full general ledger with financial reports, bank feeds, and journal entries. And it's an easy to use platform, which means clients can feel comfortable tracking their day-to-day finances. But that's just the beginning. As part of the accounting partner program, you get access to a host of additional benefits. This includes a complimentary FreshBooks account, dedicated support from their expert team, membership into an exclusive partner community, and a treasure trove of additional resources. FreshBooks is committed to supporting modern accountants. And here's the big news. On October 3rd, FreshBooks is unveiling a groundbreaking innovation that will transform how accounting professionals collaborate with their clients. It's not just another tool, it's a revolutionary approach that will take your advisory services to the next level. FreshBooks is excited to invite you to their virtual launch event on October 3rd. Mark your calendars. This is a pivotal moment in the world of modern accounting that you won't want to miss. To RSVP and secure your spot at this exclusive event on October 3rd, head over to accountingpodcast.promo slash FreshBooks. That is accountingpodcast.promo forward slash F-R-E-S-H-B-O-O-K-S. Hey, we got listener mail. Shall we check in on how our listeners are doing? Absolutely. And then comments too. Comments as well. Yes. So leave us your comments in the live stream. Um, David will be taking a look at those. I will look at the listener mail. Uh, Let's see. I got a comment from Matthew who said, subject 150 hour requirement. Blake, nice article. Oh, this is referring to the article I wrote in accounting today on the wild classes accountants take to get their 150 hours. 50 hours. Did, 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 did we talk about that on the show yet? I don't think that we did. No, but it was funny because I saw the article and I was like, oh man, somebody at Accounting Today took Blake's uh, thesis and then I noticed it was your article. Yeah. Actually. So this is an article uh, that I published on Accounting Today last week. And it was inspired by a LinkedIn post I did where I asked everybody to share the craziest classes they've taken to get their 150 hours to sit for the CPA exam. And I I compiled the list from the LinkedIn comments and posted this or submitted this article to accounting today. Uh, The one that inspired it, the LinkedIn post originally was beginning walk slash jog, but we had many more come in, uh, vegetable gardening, pickleball, uh, weight training for women, whitewater kayaking, Alabama dinosaurs, environmental geology, history of rock and roll, natural disasters, understanding jazz, golf, canoeing, scuba diving. A lot of physical activity is interesting. I didn't realize so many colleges granted college credit for what? Like recreation? Like, I mean, well, when you're told you need to complete 30 more hours, and the 30 more hours can be anything. You're going to pick those kind of classes, right? <laughs> Naturally. Right. I mean, you're going to do that if you don't have the money to pay for a master's, which is why the 150 hours is discriminatory and exclusionary. And actually, there's an article I want to, I want to share after we get to the listener mail about that um, uh, in Going Concern that talks about how like the people who are most affected by the 150-hour rule tend to be minorities who don't want to do the extra year of education. So they have to do these workarounds. And it's actually one of the biggest reasons why they decide not to go into accounting, like 60, 70%. But anyway, I I don't want to skip around too much. Let's do this listener mail. So Mike 
Matthew wrote in and said, Blake, nice article. Yes, it's all theater. And yet the AICPA seems willing to oppose any challenge, e.g. Minnesota, to the absurd rule, even in the face of falling AICPA membership. Yeah, that's the thing I don't understand, is you would think that these associations would want more CPAs, and, and the numbers are going the wrong direction. They won't, you know, their, their dues are going to drop. It's precipitous, right? Going off a cliff here. Like, why, why won't they? You can solve your member dues easily, just like you don't have to be a CPA and you can still join us. <laughs> well, then it's like, why even have the CPA, David, yeah. you know? Todd wrote, you may have already pointed this out, but I thought it was interesting that two of the presidential candidates for the Republican nomination have an accounting slash accounting tech background. Nikki Haley began doing bookkeeping work at the age of 12 for her mom's clothing shop. She graduated from Clemson with an accounting degree, worked in corporate accounting for FCR, and later her family's clothing business as an accountant slash CFO. Doug Burgum was president and chairman of Great Plains Software. I had no idea he was running for president. I'm out of the loop. Uh, Great Plains Software developed accounting software for small-slash-medium-sized businesses. It was acquired by Microsoft in 2001. It appears that the ERP system, Microsoft Dynamics GP, evolved at least in part from the software acquired from Great Plains. Note that my sources are Wikipedia and other online sources, so take details with a grain of salt. Well, you know, I use Wikipedia, so <laughs> I'll buy it. Thanks, Todd. We need more accountants in government. I think they could help. I got an email from Erica who said, in regards to the AT article, good article, nice high-level summary of all the factors to consider. I happened to have dinner with a state lobbyist last weekend and asked him who's talking about the CPA shortage in the Idaho legislature. Crickets. Every time I mention the shortage to someone outside the industry, they're always shocked. Apparently, we're the only ones that know. Smiley face. Keep fighting the good fight, Erica. Thank you, Erica. But it's getting mainstream coverage now outside of accounting press. And, 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 and again, this is how it works with, like, I think, legislatures and, and legislative bodies. Until somebody, and, and they have a lot of, like, that's just the way politics is, right? A lot of people in po political positions have businesses. They have side income. They're former business people. Until the one day they realize, like, oh, I can't get my business audited or I can't do this or I can't do this because the, there's no accountants that's when it's going to start hitting home, right? And that's happening, though. Remember we talked to uh, in Minnesota. Um, Linda, uh, Linda Weedle? Weedle, right? She said smaller municipalities can't get stuff done. Yeah. Because they yeah. can't get accounting firms. That is going to drive it, I think. And also if the associations start lobbying for it, right? That would, yeah. that would do it. They have influence. I mean, that's their main function. The state associations lobby for the CPAs in the state. And that's what they put the money to use doing. Um, here is an email from Ray. Ray said, two of your favorite topics, IRS and AI, unusually mentioned together in the same sentence. I wonder if they'll get com competent people to use AI in truly uh, cutting edge and innovative ways, or if the IRS will underutilize AI, make a mess, and waste lots of time and money. I'd give it even odds. And he sent me a, this article here uh, from Tax Advisor. IRS vows new enforcement efforts aided by AI. And he continues, I do hope that the IRS pulls this off and succeeds. Fair tax administration is good for everyone. In our voluntary compliance regime, the risk of audit, whether actual or perceived, is the strongest motivator. Those who follow the rules should, 
will have less to fear, and those who do not follow the rules should will have more to fear. Now, this article that Ray sent along is talking about how the IRS has a plan to focus more tax enforcement efforts on the wealthy and that they are going to utilize artificial intelligence specifically to audit large partnerships, which is something that they have struggled to do with human beings uh, because it is very difficult to audit large partnerships with all of these K-1s and all of these entities that own these things. It's just like a web of entities, right? It's not as easy as just auditing one earned income tax credit, which is what they uh, are also actually going to cut back on, they have said. So we don't really have details as to how they're going to do it. And I've seen this brought up in a couple different articles as a footnote kind of in the article. But it's it's really them in the same way we talk about using it, our own company or firms using it. You're, you're trying to supplement labor, mm-hmm. right? Just helping somebody be 20% faster. If it, if, it, if, it can, if it can help like that, that's going to make a difference for the IRS. So let me read the couple paragraphs specifically about how they're approaching it. The two main efforts Werfel announced are the pursuit of 1,600 high-wealth taxpayers who owe at least $250,000 each and using AI to focus on large partnerships that the IRS previously did not have the resources to take on. Also, Werfel said, the IRS will improve the tax system for middle and low-income people by ramping up efforts to take down schemes such as those that promise exorbitant earned income tax credit refunds. So they're going to go after the promoters of the earned income tax credit fraud, not the individuals, which I think makes sense. It's like going after the ERC mills would make a lot of sense as opposed to going after the individual ERC filers. If you shut down the mills, if they had if they had done that before they got this flood of filings, then they wouldn't have the flood of filings, would they? Earlier this year, the IRS said it was pursuing 175 millionaires who owed hundreds of millions of dollars in back taxes. So far, the service has collected tens of millions of dollars from 40 or so of those millionaires, Werfel said. So they've gotten to 40 out of 175 that they identified. And uh, yeah. I I have a prediction. So obviously, Congress is all, oh, AI needs regulation and everybody, there's like the anti-AI. AI crowd out there, but there's also the uh, anti-IRS crowd out there. I think you're going to see a bill introduced that says they are not allowed to use AI to do audits. Like somebody's going to introduce that just to keep the IRS held down, essentially. And they're going to argue and they're going to get the votes from the other side of the aisle because that side of the aisle is like, we got to fear AI. So this probably won't happen because of politics. Maybe. Um, Here's more details on how they're going to use the AI for these partnerships. First, the IRS will audit 75 specific partnerships with over $10 in assets on average. And starting in October, the service will mail a compliance alert to hundreds of partnerships with over $10 in assets, where the IRS discovered discrepancies between end-of-year balances compared to beginning balances in the following year. Large partnerships are, quote, some of the complex cases the IRS faces, unquote, he said. Quote, and it involves a wide range of industries and activities where it's been far too easy for tax evaders to cut corners. The IRS has simply not had enough resources and staffing to address partnerships. They are also going to put scrutiny on digital assets uh, and FBAR violations and labor brokers. 
Apparently, there have been instances where construction contractors are making Form 1099 payments to an apparent subcontractor that's really a shell company with no legitimate business relationship with the contractor. This money then flows back to the original contractor. The IRS plans to conduct both civil audits and criminal investigations. I think I got, we got so much mail. It's been great. Everyone, send us your emails to the accounting podcast at earmark.me. Send us your stories like Ray did. That, that was a really good story. Thank you, Ray. Um, here's a longer one from Paulita. Paulita said, hello, Blake and David. I worked as a non-CPA accountant 10 years ago prior to relocating to the United States in 2012. I investigated pursuing further education in accounting to work towards the CPA designation, but the requirements were daunting given I was working full-time with a six-month-old and a spouse who was already a full-time law school student. So I put it off. Ten years later, after three kids, a spouse well-established in his career, working in other roles, and completing a Master of Science degree in a non-accounting-related interest, I found myself thinking about the CPA designation again. While researching the accounting industry, I came across your podcast earlier this year, back when it was the Cloud Accounting Podcast, and it was extremely helpful in figuring out the state of things. I went back to earlier episodes and listened many times to episodes covering the accountant shortage, the 150-hour rule problem, NASBA's take on the 150-hour rule, AICPA's eight-point plan to fix the accounting pipeline, the interview with Ken Bishop, and many more. I now realize that I don't have to worry about working at a big four, that I can actually accomplish this in many other types of accounting firms with a focus on something that interests me. For instance, client accounting for nonprofits or small real estate companies. For the first time, I felt this was achievable. So I submitted an application of intent to the Texas State Board of Public Accountancy two weeks ago to find out what courses I need to satisfy the education requirement. And to sweeten the deal, as of September 1st, 2023, the Texas Public Accountancy Act was amended to require 120 semester hours to qualify to sit for the CPA exam instead of the prior 150 semester hours. And uh, she provides a link to their update page. As I await the response, I am researching local firms wait, willing to take on someone in the early stages of pursuing the CPA. As we near year end, I see the potential for many of these opportunities becoming available. Thank you for creating the accounting podcast and for researching and bringing relevant information about the state of the industry to a returning career changer. Not sure if that is a term such as myself. I don't think I would have acted as quickly without hearing your and your guests' insight and commentary. In a sense, it has slowly been an effective call to action. Amazing. We helped Changing the world. bring yeah. a CPA, a future CPA, back into the profession. Paulita, thank you so much for writing that email. We, we, we are changing the pipeline. We should be part of the AICPA strategy to increase the pipeline. I know, right? It's I happening. Mean, and this is a great example of somebody who has been really excluded by the 150-hour rule, right? Um, Non-CPA accountant relocated to the US, had was working full-time with a six-month-old and a spouse in law school, you think this person has the time and inclination to go and get 30 hours of sem 30 semester hours of education that they don't need because they've already been working as an accountant for 10 years? It's a total waste of time for them to do that. And that's who you're excluding. That's an example. You're excluding a young mother, young working mom. Great job. Well done. You've improved the quality of the profession by making everyone get 150 hours and excluding young working parents. And, and I think 
like her ability to discover our conversations about it is really kind of an important thing because if if we want to tote the the, the line and turn a blind eye to the discussion around 150 hours, I know some people a listener a couple weeks ago said we talk about it too much or something like that. But like by us having this discussion, she was able to find resources and differing opinions to help her make a dis- life decision. And if that wasn't there, she might not know that this was an issue yeah. or that there could be options or that state of Texas was you know, recently changed. Yeah. I've got one more before we go. I got to get to all of them. Yeah. Hello, my name is Harmony and I'm currently working on my associates with plans to get my bachelor's in finance and accounting. I think it's funny every time I hear you guys talking about the 150 hour rule. I am 30 years old and though I wouldn't say I'm indecisive, I have had a lot of interests career-wise that haven't all lined up. I've been to cosmetology school, massage, therapy school, and I have an Associates of Applied Science as a physical therapist assistant and a few scattered semesters of filler classes when something caught my interest, like taking ASL, sign language, because I thought it was cool, or the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, health coach certificate, because I wanted to learn from my own healthcare. I gave all that background to say that I looked at the hours on my transcript and was not quite surprised to see that I had over 145 acquired hours on my transcript. I don't believe I will have trouble meeting that 150 hours if I chose if I choose to get my CPA after completing my bachelor's. I enjoy listening to your show, even though I am extremely new to the profession. Thanks. That's great. Thank you, Harmony. And that's another career changer. That's right. Um, the industry. A career changer who, like me, waffled around a lot, so had <laughs> most of the credits already. Although, Harmony, um, you might be disappointed, depending on your state, to find out that they require a lot of specific classes, a significant number of specific accounting and business classes. And if you don't have those, you have to go back and get those classes just because they require you to have sat in a classroom to take those specific classes, even if you can demonstrate your knowledge on the exam. Because it's apparently not enough to prove your knowledge on the exam. You have to have a transcript that says you sat in a classroom for X hours to also prove your knowledge. I guess one thing isn't enough. I don't know. doesn't really add up for me. Uh, I think the bachelor's, and given you've got all that wide-ranging experience, should be enough. But, you know, that's just my opinion. Someone in the chat room, apparently when they're a LinkedIn person, their name doesn't come through. Not always. They've just chats through LinkedIn. But somebody asked, does anyone know if Georgia is targeting to reduce the 150-hour rule anytime soon? So anybody in Georgia that has any information, please leave us a voicemail or send us a, an email because that's, yeah, is, is the do, are the dominoes falling? Yeah. Well, I mean, so far we've got Minnesota and South Carolina actively working to reduce the 150 or provide an alternative pathway. Texas has reduced the sitting for the exam to 120, but you still got to get the extra 30 after if you want to be a CPA to get licensed. What other states are moving in this direction? I well, New York doesn't have to. In New York, yeah, New York you already has. In New York, <laughs> you, there's you a pathway where you don't even need a bachelor's degree to get your CPA. Most people don't even know about that because it takes, is it 15 years of experience? 15 years. Yes. Yeah. Um, pretty funny like that that even exists still. And yet, you know, these states are getting such hassle for trying to change things a little bit. Allison said, Harmony is going to be well going to be a well-rounded CPA given her varied interests. Yes, I agree. Assuming she's not put off by the specific education requirements. That's the that's the biggest challenge for us career changers. It was for me. It took me five years to get my CPA because of all the classes I had to take while working full time. 
All right, that's enough for this week, David. If our listeners want to get in touch with you, where should they go? I'm on all the socials, just at David Leary. I am at Blake T. Oliver. Send us emails. We are the accounting podcast at earmark.me. That's the accounting podcast at earmark.me. Subscribe to us on YouTube and earn free CPE for listening today with the Earmark app. You can search Earmark CPE on the App Store or Google Play Store and check out our, I think we're up to almost 500 reviews on Apple with 4.9 stars. Thanks everyone who's written a review of the app. Um, we're really proud of that and, and thanks so much. David, see you next week. That's it, next week. Time for the classifieds. Your accounting clients don't want another shiny app they have to log into. They want to be met where they live in their email inbox. FinDaily does just that. FinDaily automates the communication of key financial data by sending it to your client's inbox daily. Try FinDaily out for free at findaily.io. That's findaily.io. Sick of waiting for same-day ACH transfers that stick to bank hours or paying high fees for credit cards? Stop settling with slow payments and say hello to the future of AR with Forwardly, America's first accessible instant payment solution. With Forwardly, accountants in the USA can receive small business payments instantly, 24-7, 365 days a year, manage cash flow, and simplify accounting with automatic reconciliation. With generous partner rewards, ridiculously low fees, and no monthly charge, you can start thinking Forwardly at Forwardly.com. That's Forwardly.com. Your accounting firm is buzzing with new hires. They're eager, they're promising, they say they know QuickBooks inside and out. But soon you're seeing red flags. Errors keep creeping into the work, and once again, you're in the trained, correct repeat cycle. Break free with Royal Wise Owls. Alisa Katz Pollock, one of Ignition's 2023 top 50 women in accounting, developed a comprehensive QuickBooks training platform with live webinars and on demand courses enabling your staff to learn QBO while earning CPE. Their bronze, silver, and gold memberships range from core QBO courses and discussion groups to unlimited video library access, monthly coaching sessions, and exclusive discounts. Kickstart your journey towards a QuickBooks-savvy workforce today by visiting royalwise.com. That's royalwise.com. Most firm owners are busier than they want to be because they feel like they have to work long hours to keep their firms running. But according to CPA Ryan Lozanis, that's not necessary. Ryan built a multi-seven-figure firm that didn't require him to work nights or weekends, and just five years after starting his firm, Ryan sold it to a major international organization for a hefty profit. His secret is a special six-part system, and right now he's teaching 700-plus busy firm owners to implement this system in their own firms, so they can scale revenue and spend more time with family and friends. To learn more about Ryan's special six-part system that lets firm owners grow their revenue and their free time, go to futurefirmaccelerate.com slash CAP. That's futurefirmaccelerate.com slash CAP. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.